I remember reading a story some time ago about <clears throat> this couple who was having a Christmas party at their house, and white elephant exchange, and of course the, the festivity and the craziness and the laughter was going on as they opened gifts and were battling over them until one gift was opened <clears throat> and it just stopped the commotion, dead silence. Because the person who was up next had grabbed a gift bag off of the table, reached into the top of the gift bag, and pulled out an infant Jesus in a manger. And everybody was just dumbfounded. Who would do that? That is not a white elephant. And it took a couple of moments, and then the host in the home realized that it looked a lot like the one from their nativity scene in the living room. (laughs) Went to look in the living room, and sure enough, the manger was missing. What a relief. They chose to think that somehow it was an accident that Jesus in his manger had somehow found his way into the top of that white elephant gift bag. Awkward moment, to say the least. And though we hope that it was an innocent mistake, I can't help but think that there, there's maybe a lesson there for us. Some spiritual truth or, or challenge, one that I think that we can all relate to, Justin and Rachel talked about the the busyness of the season. In the Advent season, keeping Jesus where he belongs. And certainly, that baby in a manger was the center of everyone's attention on that night. And is the Lord Jesus the center of our attention throughout this Advent season and on into the new year and every day? After all, it is his birthday that is the reason for the celebration we call Christmas. Swirling around us is this consumer marketing madness that has very little to do with him. A few years ago, Pew Research Poll asked people what they like the most and the least about the Christmas season. Now, the most liked... Spending time with family and friends, religious services or religious reflection, the Christmas spirit of joy and goodwill, music and decorations. The least liked, commercialism and materialism, money and expense, shopping and crowds, hectic pace and the bad moods of people. Least liked in the Christmas season. And I, I, hear, I hear an opportunity in those responses. Many people want and, and appreciate something much more meaningful than, than what the retail culture has to offer them in this season. And so as we continue our journey through the Advent themes of the season, let's not forget that the way that we celebrate peace and joy and hope and love our understanding of of those themes and the gifts that they are in our lives, the gifts that God intends them to be for his people, there's 
opportunity to live in response to those gifts in such a way that by His grace, those things will become attractive to those who are looking for peace and joy and hope and love and perhaps haven't been experiencing much of it in their lives. So you've already heard the clues this morning. The Advent Candlelighters did a great job. The video was just outstanding. Hope! Hope! We're talking about the gift of hope on this third Sunday. And I have suggested to you that, that these gifts, these themes of Advent, they, they resonate with us. I think they resonate with, with people in general because they get at the core of what it means to be human. It's my guess that most people, regardless of where they live, the culture that they're a part of, whatever their experience, they they recognize these things, these themes, peace, joy, hope, and love, as something that is important to life. And I think... Hope may rise to the top of the list, maybe, depending on person's circumstances, but in terms of just the world we live in at large, the, the media exposure that we, are, that we are privy to in the era in which we live makes us realize perhaps more than ever before what a messed up place we're living in. ay 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 there's just there's no escaping it. Click on your computer, click on your TV, click on the radio, and we have access to a lot of hurt and pain and 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 disappointment and suffering that is part of the human experience in our world. Our world is far from perfect. And there is much for which to hope. And there is research that shows hope to be unbelievably powerful as a mechanism for survival. In in August of this year, First Things Magazine published an article titled, Dying of Despair. Aaron Kiriati is an associate professor of psychiatry at UC Irvine the school of medicine there. He makes the observation that long-term studies of individuals at high risk for suicide reveal something very important to us. He says, to investigate the differences between high-risk patients who take their own lives and those who don't, researchers have analyzed medical and mental health diagnoses. They've They've looked at symptoms, extensive and, and, and less than, physical pain all across the, the spectrum of, of pain. They've looked at social and economic factors. They, they've looked at a whole lot, according to this researcher. And over a 10-year span, they found that the one factor that was most strongly predictive 
of suicide. An awful topic to talk about. But strongly predictive was not how sick a person was, not how much physical pain they suffered, not horrific experiences in their lives, not their economic status, whether they were rich or poor or somewhere in between. The most dangerous factor, according to this researcher, is a person's sense of hopelessness. (coughs) According to their study, a person without hope is the likeliest candidate for suicide. Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert says that the human being is the only animal that thinks about the future, that thinks that things could be better, things could be different. He calls it the defining feature of our humanity. And his research has found that the average adult spends 12% of the day thinking about the future. Now, before I had grandkids, I would have doubted that. But I think there's truth to that. Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking about those little buggers all the time. I've got, I've got hopes of, of their future. Things that I want for them, things that I want for us together. Would we not agree that hope, hope is part of being human in our fallen world? We long for better. All kinds of things that we hope about hope for on a daily basis. There are a number of of definitions. Chloe read a a great one for us on the video. I I love that. But in all of the definitions that you read, there's always something woven in there about what is not yet, sort of the future theme. It could be just in the next few minutes, I'm hoping for this, or the next few hours or days, or or even years. This one that, that... I think captures the spirit of hope quite well, says to, to want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen or be true. To want something to happen or be true and to think that it, it could happen, it could be true. And hope, whether we want to admit it or not, I believe speaks to the truth that, that we are created we are, we are finite people. And as desperately as we may try, we cannot ultimately control life and the circumstances that come our way. We just can't. To think that we are in control of things is always an illusion. So, so hope of Advent We hear a lot about hope in this season. We sing about hope. We talk about hope. What is it? Our text this morning is going to be familiar. It's from Matthew's account of the Christmas story. You've heard part of it read already once this morning. And the word hope is not in this text. But I'm hoping that it's hoping that it's really (laughs) obvious that this is a hope-filled text, okay? If it doesn't work, then we're just going to quit and go home early. <clears throat> so don't fake it. You've got to be genuine, all right? So uh, there's an important statement of, of hope in here. I think it's the obvious one. Probably a no-brainer, but, but still, 
important for us to, to look at, to be reminded of. And maybe for some of us, a consideration for the first time that, that this, is, this is what biblical hope is about. So let's stand together and let's read these familiar verses from Matthew's story of the birth of Jesus together. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. There is no doubt in my mind that Joseph was a grace-filled man. Uh, uh, he, He was living in an era, at least as far as we can tell from the biblical record, there is not much conversation about the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph, don't worry about the fact that this woman you're engaged to is more of an engagement slash marriage in the culture of the day. Don't worry that she's pregnant. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. Thanks, God. That makes a lot of sense. I feel a lot better. I won't be concerned about it. He was just, he's an amazing person. Yet I, I wonder how real he was as well. The name Jesus is the Hebrew for Joshua, which means save. So if we can put up that next slide, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Joshua, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, here comes the no-brainer question that we need to be reminded of. Next one, Vic, if we could. Why is this an important statement of hope. You're thinking, well, that's obvious. Well, of course it's obvious. Talk to your neighbor. Why is it obvious? Why in this, this 
crazy, materialistic, consumer, hopeless society, is that an important statement of hope? See what your neighbor has to think about that. A couple of minutes. Okay, can we talk about it? No? <laughs> so what do you think? Why, why is that a statement of hope? I, I think it's a statement of hope. Do you agree? Don, what do you think? It's a real sense of definite. Count on this. Yeah, good, good. Great observation. What else, Don? Yes, yes. Good, good. What else? What else? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, good, good. The hope is Jesus. What else? Anyone else want to add to it? Yes. Exactly, exactly. Just such a, a, a whole new way to think about salvation and, and the, God's saving of his, his people. I, I, I wonder if there was any possibility that, that Joseph woke up from the dream and questioned that statement at all. Save his people from their sins? They're, they're people who, who live as the chosen people of God, called out of all of the nations of the world to, to be his people, and, and they are people who, granted, they don't do it perfectly, and there's lots of failures in the history, but they, they live their lives according to the law of God. God has revealed himself to the Jewish people. <clears throat> is it possible that, that Joseph is wondering, save his people from their sins, but we've been sacrificing for our sins for centuries. You know, most of the people I know are, are good, God-fearing folks because they're, they're, you're, they're your folks, God. They're, they're Jews. If they need to be saved, then... You must, be, you must be talking about the, the, the Romans. Now there's who your people need to be saved from. <laughs> Stinking Romans, they're corrupt. They oppress us with their tax system. They, they disrespect our religion. They're offensive. Their, their immoral lifestyles disgust us. They think they're invincible. Save us from the Romans. God, from our sins? Is that a problem? Now, more than likely, he didn't have that conversation in his mind. But every culture, I believe, before and after that first century, thinks like that in some way. Because here's the thing, people do not really want to admit Sin. Sin implies that something is wrong, and who wants to admit wrongdoing? I'll point out your sin, but I don't want to admit to mine. And and if we're going to compare, your sins will always be worse than mine. Is that not the nature of humanity? That's, That's how we think. The earliest translation of the Greek word that is used so often in the New Testament for sin means to miss the mark, to err, 
to be mistaken, which can sound pretty innocuous, really. Just correct the error, right? Try harder and hit the mark. What's the problem? Well, etymologically, the meaning goes a whole lot deeper than that. It has to do with a principal source of action. That is, something that is governing and in power that is controlling. That's why Paul, when he writes to the Romans, describes sin as the very nature that humans are born into. He says it's bondage. It's slavery from which they need to be rescued. They can try as hard as they want, and the result is always more bondage and more slavery. We cannot do otherwise as humans. It means that our nature is broken. We do wrong because we are wrong. We do wrong things because as created beings, we have exalted ourselves above God. We live as if God were created for us. And we can say the right prayer, we can rub the bottle the right number of times, and poof, God gives us what we desire. We live as if we are the center of the universe, not God, and we cannot do otherwise because that is what we are. And that is the ultimate wrong thing from which Jesus came to save his people. So a Savior born to save people from that problem, which is the problem, which is the source of all things in this world that cause hurt and pain and disappointment, against which we hope for change, a Savior comes to to fix that? That's fabulous news. Thank you, Dixie. That is fabulous news. And if we believe all that the Scripture teaches about this, that we are eternal beings, we're created by God and we're created for God, and that our lives go way beyond just this earthly life, and that sin has broken that relationship, making this earthly life a mess, and making eternity impossible. If we believe that, because that's what the Scripture teaches us, then what the angel announced to Joseph is really the only source of true and lasting hope. It's the only source. Now, if God does not exist, then the birth of a Savior who saves us from ourselves, well, who cares? It's really not important. Because human beings, if God does not exist, human beings are just products of chance. They're soulless creatures who cease to exist after they have breathed their last. But if that is true, as some people believe it is, 
then where in the world does hope come from? Where does hope come from? How do soulless creatures who are just a product of random activities and chance have hope for something better? And why is the loss of hope resulting in a person potentially, according to the research that we read earlier, taking their own life? Why is that such a tragedy? Who cares? What's the big deal? I believe, I believe it's because people are created in the image of God, created for God, created to live in a relationship where hope does not need to exist, where everything is right, where there is no pain, there's no hardship, there's no loss, there's only unconditional love and acceptance. It's because those things don't exist that we hope. But there is a longing for many of those things in the heart of people because that's what they were created for. And because we look at the broken world and we think, man, couldn't this be better? Yeah. Yeah, it could. But it can only be better when the fundamental relationship of life has been restored to what it was supposed to be, what it was intended. King Solomon wrote in that poetic book, Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, that God has put eternity in the hearts of all people. There is this, this sense, this awareness of there's more. Sometimes expressed in that frustrated statement of, is this all there is? Where does that idea come from? Solomon says God has put eternity in the hearts of all people. One writer puts it this way, every person, whether they are a Christian or not, has the spiritual DNA of Adam and Eve in them. This spiritual DNA draws our hearts toward heaven. It creates a longing and an understanding that there is more. It's very real. It's, it's very biblical. I think that in the hearts of people, and for some, there's no doubt about it, it's buried a lot deeper than in others. But in the hearts of people, there is, can I say it this way? There's a longing to get back to the garden. There is a longing, there is a desire <clears throat> that expresses itself sometimes in the craziest of ways to get back to that sense of what it was we were created for. To get, to get back to that relationship for which we were created where, where the only hope of the human heart, if there even was hope, was to experience more of the love of God, the wonder of God, the glory of God. You ever thought that someday when we are with God for eternity, 
hope ceases to exist. What do you hope for? Exactly. We're, we're not hoping for things to be better because they won't be any better. They're fabulous. Okay. Enough of that. <clears throat> that's the reason. My friends, that's the reason for a Savior. And that really is what Advent hope is all about. Hope that once was, that what, what once existed way back in the beginning of time, that can happen again. Paul also wrote to the Romans that, <clears throat> that this hope in what God has, has done in Christ and continues to do, he says it will not disappoint us because it comes from God. It's grounded in the character of who God is. It, it's the real deal, not Paul's words, mine. It's, it's what the human soul longs for, relationship with God, that which we were created for. And, and the reason Paul says it does not disappoint us is because at our redemption places his spirit within us. He writes that both to the Romans and to the Ephesians. The deposit that guarantees our inheritance, which is to come. Paul refers to it as God pouring out his love into our hearts through the gift of the Spirit. That is awesome. The unchanging truth about hope is that it is only as good as the object in which it is placed. Let me say that again. The unchanging truth about hope is that it is only as good as the object in which it is placed. And here, my friends, here I think is where the people of God, you and, and I, here's where we can offer the gift of Advent hope to others. <clears throat> Remember, we've said through this series that these gifts from God are not ours to just be clung to, <clears throat> excuse me, but they are to be they are to be given away, lived out in such a way that that others look at our lives. By God's grace at work in us, they're attracted to, to what it is that's in us. That's making the gifts available. If we are living with hope in God, that they will see that and be attracted to it. Think us a little crazy and be attracted to it. Peter encouraged followers of Jesus in his first letter to believers that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, which means they were living in a hard place. He said to them, always be prepared to explain to others why you have hope in this life. Always be prepared to explain to others <clears throat> why you have hope in this life. What I love about that is he doesn't say convince them, wrangle them in somehow. He's just saying 
be prepared to explain, he's assuming they're going to ask. They're going to ask because they see something in our lives that doesn't make sense. What? You're not worried about the financial situation in the country? Well, to be honest, I have moments. But my hope is not in our government. Are are you not worried about all of the the diseases that are flowing around these days and the fact that, that antibiotics aren't working as well as they used to? Well, yeah, there are moments where I feel that concern, but got to be honest, that's, that's not where my hope is. Is there a possibility that as we begin to, to live into the truth of what hope is grounded in the certain character, the unchanging character of God, is it possible that, <clears throat> that as we walk together with people, both God's people and those who don't know Him yet. We, we live and we suffer and we experience the same kinds of hard things that they do. What is our response? Communicate to them about the certainty of our hope. Living with confidence in God, no matter what is going on in the world, I think can be very attractive to those whose hope is in flawed people and flawed systems. So, my brothers and sisters, let me ask you this morning, how about us? How about us? Do people see us living with hope? They see us living out Advent hope in a way that, that, that we're responding differently to the same kinds of struggles that plague everyone. Let's be cautious as we live out the hope that we have in God. Let's be cautious of our language. Let's be sensitive to the fact that conversations may provide an opportunity for just winsome, honest explanation for our hope. If someone asks, what will we say? Oh, have hope. Things will get better. Really? Oh, don't worry. The economy is bound to turn around. Oh, yeah. The government will figure it out. Oh, don't worry. Your health is going to improve. There's a job out there for you somewhere. This is one I've heard a lot. Hey, we've faced hard times as a country before, and we survived them. We'll survive these. Maybe not. Where's your hope? And what kind of hope do we communicate when we say stupid things like that? (laughs) Forgive me, that was harsh. we don't know. We cannot offer hope apart from the character of God. And what we know to be true about Him is that He cares deeply 
for lost and broken people so much so that he sent his son into the world to seek and to find the lost and to fix what was broken in those people so that they could live into the relationship for which they were created. And, and my thinking is if that's what we really believe about God and that's what we believe he has done for us, if that's what I believe he has done for me, then that seems to me motivation to, to walk along even more closely with those who we know have their hope in all the wrong places. Not criticizing their hope, not disparaging their hope, not calling them stupid for hoping in that. What's the matter with you? Walking along in genuine, loving, caring ways, giving opportunity for dialogue and conversation that allows them to begin to absorb the fact that that's not where our hope is. What's that about? That's what we're looking for. That's Advent hope. And that's living out the Advent hope in a way that it becomes a gift to someone else. Praise team, why don't you come on up and prepare to to close us this morning and let me just share a couple more thoughts as you come. I think it's precisely because Christ entered into our pain and our brokenness that that we have to care enough, my friends, to do the same for others. To give ourselves to those who really do place their hope in broken systems only to be disappointed again and again. In the words of that, that great old hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, that is, the sweetest offer, the sweetest philosophy, the sweetest idea of how to make things good in life. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Eugene Peterson says this, if everything is falling apart and the world is about to come to an end, why not just cut and run? Why not eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and those of us who are fortunate enough go to heaven. Peterson calls that, may I say this? A bastard apocalyptic. He says it has no parentage. It has no roots. It has no relative in Scripture. Apocalyptic that has no connection to biblical sources or gospel commitments. He says, but the real thing, the real biblical apocalyptic, the the, the life that God's people live as, as the days seem to grow shorter and, and, and get darker around us. That real thing, it develops communities that are passionately patient, courageously committed to witness and work in the kingdom of God, no matter how long it takes or how much it costs. May that be true. Advent hope. 
Praise be to God.